Okay, today we're going to begin a series on prayer. Turn with me over to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm chapter, Psalm 32. We're going to look at verse 6, Psalm 32, verse 6. David is, has penned this psalm, and he's speaking, and he says in verse 6 of Psalm 32, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Lord, help us as we study. Three things upon which I wish to concentrate today. One, our piety. Two, the kind of petition we need to bring before God. And three, the proximity that that petition allows us and our piety to come in contact with. David is <clears throat> communicating some very important thoughts in process. And when a, when a preacher starts with a passage that starts with therefore, then it's important that he lets the congregation know what the therefore is there for. You have to look at the prior verses, and this entire psalm is about the contrite heart and what it means to repent, that God is willing to forgive the soul that sins. When David goes through the consternation of soul, the pain that his sin took him through, he says, I, it kept me awake at night, groanings on my bed. I couldn't get over it until I confessed my sin to my God. And as a result of my confession, God forgave me of the guilt of my iniquity and cleansed me from all my sin. Two things strike me about that, that passage. One, that we serve a merciful God. Amen. And it just makes me happy every time I think about it. I know what I deserve and I don't get it. Amen. I'm so happy I don't get what I deserve. Amen. I deserve judgment. I deserve death. I deserve to be punishment for, for all of my sin, both sin of commission, acts that I have done wrong, and sins of omission, things that I should have done right that I didn't. I deserve to be punished, yet God has had mercy on me and forgiven me for all of my misdeeds. There are so many that I can't remember them all. And so I have to say a blanket prayer, not just the prayer to forgive me for the stuff that I've done, but Lord, forgive me for the stuff I've forgotten I've done. Amen. And then, Lord, the stuff I didn't even know I did wrong. I wouldn't have known to repent of it even if I had known what I was doing. I didn't know. So I thank you for forgiving me of that. God forgives us not only for our things that we did wrong, our things that we didn't do right, but for the intent of our heart that is bent toward doing wrong. Sin is the act of doing wrong. Iniquity in the Old Testament really speaks more to the bent of the heart to do wrong. And so not only does he forgive us for the thing we did, but the leaning that inspired the deed. Our God is amazing. So I'm grateful for his forgiveness, and I need it desperately. But I'm also mindful that David reminds us that we can make a change. That is, as much as we need his mercy, 
that is grace is the other side of the coin that allows us to live in such a way that we don't need his mercy as much. Grace is that which empowers us to live well so that we don't always have to ask, God, pull me out of this ditch into which I've dri driven. Help me to get out of the pit into which I've fallen. Deliver me from me again. Help me to get out of the desperate situation into which I have driven my life. God, I, at some point, you need to get tired of praying those prayers. Oh, you don't need to, to let that be the inspiration to stop praying. No, no, no. Tired of praying those prayers. You need to pray other prayers now. Prayers that empower you to live right. And recognize your dependence upon him before you need forgiveness. How about your dependence upon him before you, you get out in the day? Saying, Lord, I realize I am an absolute mess. So today I surrender to you. And I pray that you would start living through me so I can live right. David talks about how important it is to recognize that God is a forgiving God. And therefore, he says, let everyone who is godly pray to you. David understands that, that sin is in the church. Sin is in Israel. And as much as I would like to think that the church is pristine, wonderful, holy and pure, I pastor you so I know you're not. So godly people do things wrong, which is kind of oxymoronic, isn't it? Amen. If you're godly, you probably ought to do things right. If you're defined as being godly, shouldn't there be something about you that goes beyond your flaws that people can see? You are amazing. I don't know anybody like you. But every once in a while, you blow it. And it ought to be the unusual thing. It shouldn't be the practice. It shouldn't be the norm. Every once in a while you blow it because you're defined as being godly. Amen. And may I use this as a convicting point. By the way, this is not going to be a happy sermon. <laughs> may I use this as a convicting point. Do people actually describe you as godly? Is there anybody who is close to you who knows you? That describes you as godly. I'm not talking about reverent. I'm not talking about somehow being categorized in the, in the niche of being a preacher, a minister. I'm just talking about the most holy person they know or close to it, living right. Does anybody describe you as that? If not, you got some work to do. I beg you, start living in such a way. That your godliness puts you in a position whereby you can pray the kind of prayer that David is talking about. Now he's not saying that if you're not godly, you can't pray. He's just talking to a group that is godly. He says, therefore, let the godly pray to you. Piety ought to be a part of the church's makeup. It shouldn't be something that we always have to figure out, how can I get there? 
I'm so messed up, I don't know how to be what I should be. We should be people that are constantly holding on to our purity. And if we have not latched on to it yet, we get help so that somebody can help us latch on, and then we do not let go. Holiness is something that, that, that is attainable. We cannot be God, make that sure. Can't be Him. There's only one of Him. And we've already proven we're bad gods when we try. Perfection is only allowed to be described as being Him. And then we fall in way, way short, and there's no way we can ever make up the gap on our own. But we are called to be like Him. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The intent of God when He thought about making you was to make you in His image. And in his likeness, that you look like him and act like him. We are to be godly. And if people around you who are most close can't describe you as that, you got some work to do. If you fit in so well with everybody that they can't see Jesus in you, you got some work to do. If you talk just like them when you're around them, and then you talk real holy when you're around me, you got some work to do. You ought to be the same person every day, all day. Same person, every day, same right person, every day, all day. (laughs) Piety. Let everyone who is godly pray. Yeah, we blow it, but it should be the exception to the rule. Not the rule. Why? Why is the church the only place that accepts failure? You blow it on your job. The supervisor wants to know, why did you do that? And you come to him incredulously saying, well, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. No, you're right. Now, you're going to get to make mistakes in some other employer because you're gone. (laughs) Somebody else is going to have to deal with your issues now. You are not staying here. What is wrong with you? We pay you to do a job. You didn't do your job. In fact, you did wrong. Not in, you didn't just do, not do right. You did wrong. What is, and nope, but we in the church are very accepting. Oh, we're only human. We accept failure. But God is worthy of our full heart, of our best effort. He's worthy of that. And though I don't know anybody who has ever reached the pinnacle of doing all things right, we ought to strive for it. Every day, we ought to try to get better than we were yesterday. Piety demands it. Godliness demands it. The world looks at us, and they expect us to be better, but because we are not, they, they ridicule us. And unfortunately, rightly so. Because we can talk a good game, but we don't live it. When we talk about prayer today, we're going to get to, in our series, what it means to petition Him for our requests, to get our desires, to give supplication to Him, to cry out to Him. We're going to talk about all the different modes of prayer. But before we get there... I want you to be right when you come. I want you to be right and to recognize that there are things in your life that need to change, that you cannot continue to live in compromise with God 
and think that somehow it's okay. It is not okay. Simply because you happen to be human and flawed doesn't give you a legitimate excuse to live in sin. Why? Because he has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to live right. He has equipped you with scriptures and promises that arm you well against the enemy. And you can take up the sword of the Spirit on a regular basis and fight. And after you have done everything you know how to do, armed with the armor of God in in Ephesians 6, after you have stood, he says, then stand some more. There is no reason for us to ever quit, nor to be found wanting when it comes to obeying God. He has given us everything in 1 Peter that we need according to life and godliness in 2 Peter. Everything that we need. And we have been given in 2 Peter these precious and magnificent promises that by them we may escape the corruption in this world by lust. Therefore, doing it with great diligence, apply in your faith moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you will never be useless and always fruitful. Make sure you make... Make sure you are sure about your calling and is choosing you. For those who neglect these things are blind and short-sighted, having forgotten the purification for their former sins. And if you practice these things, you, verse 10, will, First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter 1, you will never stumble. Amen. You will never stumble. The Bible's about victory. It is not about defeat. It's about how believers can live right. Now again, I'm as far from perfect as you can get. But in football terms, NFL, I'm 11 to 5 every year. They play 16 games. I'm 11 to 5 every year. I, you know 11 to 5 will put you in the playoffs. You got a shot. I'm not perfect, I blow it, but I win more than I lose. And not because I'm so good, but because I realize I'm so bad. Therefore, I surrender every day. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I surrender every day that I might be better for my God, better for my family, better for you, and better for my community. Realizing I am a mess, I don't try harder. I find him more. Piety demands this. This is what it looks like. And David is saying, you know, God did this for me. He forgave me of all my iniquity. He restored me. He's amazing. Therefore, if he can do it for me, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray like this. Because if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Not only should we approach him with piety, but we need... We need to approach him with the right kind of petition. There are many words for forgiveness and prayer and the concepts of being released from our sin in the Old Testament. And this is one of the more unusual that is used in the Hebrew. It's a word, palal, P-A-L-A-L in, in English. <clears throat> but but it, it means this, 
to intervene or interpose. You want to know how to develop a victorious Christian life, one that has many more victories than, than defeats? Is that you use your prayer life, first and foremost, to intervene in your sin. David says, I was messed up. My body began to waste away as I, as, on my bed as I meditated on what I had done wrong. And then I decided I'm going to confess my sin and forsake it. And it's amazing how you showed up, God. What did he do? He allowed his prayer life to intervene in his sin, to stop it in its tracks, saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Sin is that which needs to be repented of not just asked of forgiveness for. Repentance is that which says, Lord, even though I was going this direction, it was wrong. So I choose to make a 180. I'm going to go this way now. I'm going to follow you with all of my heart, and I'm not going to follow me anymore. It's a change of mind, change of heart. And in the New Testament, repentance is that which precedes forgiveness, and in the old. But see, we like forgiveness so much, we forget about repentance. And we, we've developed a culture in American Christianity that has this revolving door of sin out of which people never get. And so in, in one opening, they receive this forgiveness, which is beautiful. In another opening, they, they go back almost into their, 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 the power and the motivation to do their sin. And they stay in this thing and they never have an exit. It looks like this. Saturday night, they do in the dirt. Sunday morning, they're right here. And they're asking for forgiveness and they receive it and tears are rolling down their cheeks. And they feel this burden lifted from them. And now God has forgiven them. And, and, and they're glowing as they walk out the door and it's beautiful. But something happens on Monday where they don't cultivate that anymore on Tuesday. And by the time they get to Friday night, they're back down doing what they did in order to need forgiveness on Sunday morning last. And so they come back on Sunday. Lord, help me, forgive me. And tears begin to flow and they get relieved from their sin one more time and guilt. And then they go back out and they go round and round and round. I remember I used to be that guy. I lived that way all my teenage years. Until God got a hold of me at Indiana University where a man who I did not know just began speaking to me on campus as I was walking from one place to another. Asked me, are you a Christian? I, I could not have been any further away from God at that point in my life. And I said to him, depends on your definition. <laughs> wrong answer. That's really the wrong answer. And then he began to share with me for the next 20 minutes what the real definition was. I was undone. I said, no, I'm not. What do I do? First thing he said is repent. I said, what is that? Now, I had grown up in the church, and I know my church had preached to me the right thing. I get that. I'm not accusing anybody of doing wrong to me spiritually or depriving me of something. I must not have heard it right, but that was the first time I had heard anybody talk about repentance with connection to forgiveness. I said, what? Show me that in the Bible. You read it to me. And Peter said, repent and let each of you receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I said, I've never seen that before. He turned over to Luke. Jesus went out and told the disciples, go and re preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. I said, what? I've never seen that. I said, dude, teach me how to repent. What does that mean? Taught me. I've never been the same since. Never. There's something about the interposition of your prayer 
first, before you begin to ask for any of your desires and all of your needs, you say, God, help me to stop sinning. If you're living with somebody, move. Was that hard? (laughs) If you're living with somebody and if you're shacking up, move. Today. Today. Now, we'll help you. Now, the, other, the alternative is you can come this afternoon and Pastor Danelle will marry you. That's that. you. You can do that. I know everybody says it's okay. I get that. I get that. But, but see, when, when I was growing up, people were doing it, but it wasn't okay. People were hiding it from their parents. When mom and dad would come in town, if they were living with somebody, the woman would move out and go back with her girlfriend. They were ashamed. But today, folk come and tell me. Hey, Pastor, my girlfriend moved in. We'd like to have you over for dinner. This is what I'm doing in the spirit. In the natural, I'm saying, I'll be happy to come. (laughs) Because I can help y'all. I will help you. (laughs) Immorality is wrong. You, don't, you, don't, you do not have intimate relations with anybody of the opposite sex until you say, I do. Amen. You don't. You just need to stop. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 20 years old, March of 1981. I got married in December of 1986. Didn't touch a woman until that time. First kiss was at the altar with my fiance, then wife. First kiss. Now, I realize that's strange. I get it. You're weird, Pastor. Okay. That's fine. Call me that all you want. But I like my weird better than yours. I really do. My weird doesn't have baby mama drama. My weird can be passed out as an inheritance of my children with respect to action. I'm only using my life as an example to let you know that victory is possible when you repent. Victory is possible. Lastly is proximity. He says, pray to him at a time when when he may be found, which implies that there may be a time when he may not be able to be found as easy. See, um, when, you, when you take out the little six-inch test strip that's got the, the, the plus and the minus, and you're not married, and it shows up plus, you have to find them differently now. You've got to find them differently. See, if you'd search for them three weeks ago, like you're searching for them now, then you probably wouldn't have had to search for them like you're searching for them now. You've got to find them differently. He'll find you, and he'll let you find him. But you've got to find them differently. There's a, there's a passage over in Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, 
God, you are my God, and I will seek you earnestly. The word earnestly there in the Hebrew is the word shikar, which, which actually is better translated early. God, you are my God. I'm going to seek you early. See, when the plus sign shows up, that's just a little late. You're seeking him just a little, just about three weeks too late. He'll help you. But he could have helped you in a different way three weeks earlier to help you not sleep with that man. Are you listening to me? You need to seek him in, in a time when he can most optimally be found. If you don't, you're going to have to seek him later when you can't find him the same way you would have found him if you sought him earlier. I'm begging you. Seek him. And, and, and the result is this. The floodwaters which are coming, they don't get you if you seek him when he's supposed to be sought. If you try with all your heart to seek him before you do the dirt, then you won't have to recover from all of the consequences of doing the dirt. And it's amazing how much we are desperate when we feel the consequences of our misdeeds. Oh, oh! We, we, before we never got on our knees, but now when, 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 when there's, uh, she's pregnant and somebody found out about adultery and, and, and they, they, they recognize my embezzlement in the business. Oh, we, we go through the front door of our house and slide all the way into the bedroom on our knees. We know how to get there in a hurry. God, have mercy on me. Yes. Oh, we're seeking him now. But if, if you had done what this little black man is telling you to do, <laughs> if you had done what this little black man is telling you to do six months earlier, you wouldn't have had to, to use desperation to find him. Seek him. In a time when he may be found. And then the flood waters. Don't, I can't tell you how many floods haven't reached me. They've been there. But he has set me above them. By his grace and mercy. I've been faithful to my wife 27 years. The flood waters of lust have not reached me. I haven't stolen anything from the church. I don't have any bitterness and anger and resentment that would cause me not to be able to preach certain passages of scripture because I realize there would be hypocrisy in my soul to talk about you forgiving and I don't. And so my relationships are current. And the flood of anger and resentment that others might have that, that because I haven't lived as well as I should have in my relational structure doesn't come back and get me. The mercy of God follows me every day. Some of you are experiencing floods right now. You're right about here. Just barely keeping your head above water because you didn't seek him in a time when he could be most optimally found. But you know even when you're here, he's merciful. He's merciful. But I'm begging you, repent today. Let's not make this a habit. Stop. Stop sinning. Get right with God. Let's pray. 
Lord, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Please help us as a people to live most right.